Can you give Jesus a big round of applause? Come on. Awesome. Amen. How many of you are glad to be in God's house this morning? Praise the Lord. You know, one of the only things I can say right off, Pastor JC, is just wow. Just wow what God has done so far in our gathering together. And hey, before we even get going, church, I know the setting's a little bit different this morning, but I can promise you this, what God has done so far, he's going to continue to do during our time together. I believe he's got revelation and just encouragement that he wants to offer and pour out. So if you're not aware, this morning we are kicking off our Ask Away series, and one of the first things that I want to do is just offer a big round of applause and welcome to our lead pastor, J.C. Worley, uh, for facilitating and trying something a little different for us. I know when we do something new, it can be a little bit different, but thank you for facilitating that for us this morning. And before we get into deep discussion, one of the first things also that I want to do is want to look right into that camera, and I want us to welcome our extended church family on the East Coast, our Go Church family, just outside of our nation's capital in Germantown, Maryland. So come on, church, can we offer just a big round of applause? Uh, to our extended church family. Amen. One, one of the things I always want us to remember is every time we gather together that we are one church in two locations. And when we worship, our extended church family is worshiping. When we shout, they're shouting right along with us. So let's just remember that. Also, as we're continuing to look in the camera, I want to also welcome all of our online viewers. And no matter where you might be, no matter whether you're at home or on vacation or somewhere abroad, we want to welcome you. Pray that you're blessed by our time together. And last but not least, we cannot forget all of our armed forces, men and women all across the globe, amen, who are fighting for freedom, standing up. We want you to know that we are always praying for you, for your provisions, for your protection, for God's power to just be upon you. So one more time, church, can we just welcome all of our online viewers and one another? Amen. I'm kind of excited about this morning, Pastor JC. I'm excited to be up here and uh, one of the, the first things that, that I want to say is one, one of the things I like about this uh, format, or at least the series, is that all of you that have submitted questions are the ones that get to control the content. Now, we're going to talk all about the questions that you've submitted on askawayseries.com. If you still want to submit some of those, you can go there. You can submit those questions. We'll add them to the, I think, maybe hundreds that we've already received. Uh, unfortunately, with all of the questions that have come in, I know that a lot of you are sitting there thinking, I hope he asks my question. I hope he asks my question. You know, some were simple. Some were deep theological questions. We're going to try to tackle as many as we can. But just because we don't cover yours, please don't feel like we're ignoring you or don't think that question is important. Amen, Pastor JC? They're all important. We're just trying to create a flow, at least today and the following weeks. And, you know, you pray real hard. Maybe your question will be asked and answered. And so what we, I will promise you this, and Pastor JC, we've kind of talked over some of this. Even though we don't answer your question, I promise you this, that we will do our best to encourage you through our answers. We'll do the best to point you in the right direction through our answers and our conversation, just to inform you what God's Word might have to say about what you brought forward to us. So the first question to get things going, Pastor JC, are you ready for me to ask away? Yeah, come on. Okay. 
So what I thought we'd do first is start out with some questions that would give us a little insight into, into you and your personal faith walk. I, I don't want to call them simple questions, but here's the way we'll start, just to give us some insight. What is your favorite Bible verse of all time? Who is your favorite person in the Bible, excluding Jesus, because he should be your favorite, and why? Well, that's a great question. You know, there, there are so many scriptures that, of course, we could choose from to say this is our particular favorite or the one that, that we enjoy to, uh, to read through, to study through, or even to recite through the most. Um, it may have been easier to tell you the ones that are my least favorite than my most favorite. And I say that in a joking way because the ones that are my least favorite are the ones that sting a little bit. And all of you know what I'm talking about, where you read that verse, you're like, okay, Lord, I know you're talking to me, and now I've got to fix some things. But uh, without a doubt, I think for me, looking at our journey, our story, even the testimony that, that I have, uh, hands down, the verse that speaks so much to me, and I've said this in the past, is Romans 8.28. Uh, it brings so much truth to the reality of the difficulty of life and the challenges of life. And the Bible says this, and we know that in all things, God works together for the good yes. to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. And I love the promise of that scripture because no matter what I'm facing, no matter what we're going through, no matter the challenges, we know that even if it's our own fault and we put ourselves in a predicament and we're faced with consequences because of poor decisions, that even in that, God can work it for our yes. good. And I just think it proves how much God cares for us, how much he loves us, and how powerful he really is. So yes, Romans 8.28 is a big one for me and my family. There's others, but that one, you know, if someone corners me like they did with this question, say, what's your favorite verse? Yeah. You know, it certainly is Romans 8.28. Now, now, when you think about, you know, Bible uh, personalities or figures, that list is almost endless with the uh, amount of amazing individuals that you find in scripture, you know, and I, I think uh, that if I'm not careful, I could offend some people because they might think, well, why'd you leave this person out? Or why'd you leave that person out? You know, it would have been easy if they would have said I could have included Jesus, you know, but yeah. they were intentional about saying, you know, besides Jesus. And really I'm, I'm torn between two individuals that have shaped my life so much uh, throughout their ministry in scripture. And the first one really is the story of the apostle Paul. I, I love the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Here was a guy that went from a violent persecutor to now what we would call a radical evangelist. Yes. You know, this was a guy that was dragging Christians out of their home and then eventually wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, 14 books if you believe him to be the writer of Hebrews, you know, so over two-thirds of the New Testament was written by this former violent persecutor now turned, you know, radical evangelist. And I, I don't know, uh, when, you, when you look throughout history of anyone with more influence that changed history like Paul did. I mean, here was a guy that started a global church planting movement. He would go from city to city, from town to town. He would plant churches and he would leave. And then he would go to another city, another town and plant churches, you know. And, and I love that so much because God's put in our heart to, to be church planters, to, to yes. build churches, Amen. to establish churches. That's why we have one church in two locations now and wherever the Lord leads. The other thing I love about Paul is that he never, he never tried to hide his flaws. 
You know, he never tried to, to pretend like he didn't have insecurities or issues. As a matter of fact, Paul, Paul would highlight the insecurity. Paul would highlight the, the, the challenge. Paul would highlight the flaw and then teach us in his writings how we should be able to live a life of holiness yes. through what he was dealing with. And I love that so much because of his transparency. Amen. But the other, the other Bible character or personality that, that I really tend to gravitate towards is that of Simon Peter. And I don't know of another person in the Bible that is as relatable as Simon Peter. That's right. If you think about it, here, here's a guy that was known to be impulsive, uh, he was known to be bold. He was known to be rash. But he was also known to be a little bit of a coward. Yeah. You know, I mean, here, here was Peter. He was the first one to declare that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. He swears his undying loyalty to Jesus. I mean, he even goes so far as to when Jesus was being arrested in the garden to take out his sword and cut off the ear of yeah. Malchus, who was a servant of the high priest. He cuts off an ear to defend Jesus. So he says, I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going I'm to stand for what's truth. And then when Jesus is being crucified on the cross, yes. Peter, or Peter rather, is hiding by a campfire. And when they question him about his relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that he curses. Wow. You know? And the thing I love so much about Simon Peter is that in spite of all the denials, in spite of the curses, in spite of the impulsive behavior, in spite of his kind of radical boldness, in spite of even his own lack of faith at times, watch this, Jesus never gave up on him. Yeah, amen. Amen. And I think that's why I love Simon Peter so much because at times I can be impulsive, I can be bold, I can be a coward in my faith, and yet just like Simon Peter, Jesus never gives up on me Amen. and he never gives Amen. up on us. So, so yeah, Romans eight twenty eight, the Apostle Paul and Simon Peter, those are my favorite verses and then the two guys that really stand out so much in Scripture to me. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I mean, there's so much hope in both of those. Yeah, true. Plus that scripture too. And you're also thankful for that kind of hope in our lives as well. Amen. Fantastic. Hey, another good question, Pastor JC, especially with the level of responsibility that you have now as lead pastor over one church in two locations, the whole Go Church family and South Metro family, along with a wife and two kids and all of the other responsibilities that life brings our way. I think a question that would be timely is how do you balance both church and family? Uh, that, that is a great question. And, uh, you know, to be truthful with you, if, if I am ever successful at balancing the responsibilities of, of the church and the responsibilities of my family, if I'm ever successful at balancing those, then I am unsuccessful with my family. Oh, wow. Let, let, me, let me explain this to you because, and this is what I mean, my family is the number one priority and ministry in my life. Amen. And the scales should always tip in their favor. So Kimberly and I, we don't set out to balance, you know, the church and to balance our family. My family is my priority. Yes. And the truth is, you know, the, the stress the workload, the responsibilities of one church in two locations, the heaviness that all of that brings is real. But I refuse to remove myself from the responsibility that I have to be husband to Kimberly and dad to Lakeland in London. That is my number one focus. And our prayer has always been 
uh, even, even when we were youth pastors. And then, of course, we established Go Church. And then the Lord called us to come back home here to South Metro Atlanta. Our prayer has always been that we would have enough conviction and that we would have enough sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to tell us when, when we were off balance, when we were focusing in on one area more than we should be, and it created an unhealthy culture or dynamic or environment in our home. And, and here's something else to consider. All of us are called into ministry. That's right. All of us. Yeah. Whether we're school teachers, police officers, doctors, auto mechanics, it doesn't matter. That list is endless of, of what we do by our vocation. But truth be told, we're alive today because we're called to be in ministry. We're called to, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the Great Commission. So, so this question is important for everybody in this room and all of our Go Church family as well, because how do you balance what, what you do that provides an income with the responsibility of home and family? And so here are just a few things that I've been working on. And uh, Kimberly, if she was up here, she would tell you that I am a work in progress, you know. But, but the truth is, these are the tips that we're, we're trying to improve on. The first one is, I'm trying to leverage my mornings. I'm trying to leverage my mornings, meaning this, and I, I, I'm more of a, uh, uh, a, a night owl than I am an early morning person. Okay. I could stay up till 2, 3 a.m., you know, versus getting up at 4, 5, 6, 30 a.m. Yeah, I get okay? some of his pings at, at yeah. 11, 12 o'clock. I apologize about no, that. I'm you good. Know. I'm up too. Yeah. That was kind of like a little shot. It was like, hey, yeah, by the way, don't no, email I'm me so late. <laughs> you know, so, but what I've learned is the importance of getting up early getting up early, trying to get some things done or taken care of even before the family gets up early. Whether that's personal, like picking up my Bible and doing devotion time, or if it's, you know, a desire to go to the gym. That way I'm not taking away from the family, even if it is, yeah. you know, sending emails off. That way when the kids are up, you know, and Kimberly, if, if she needs my help, which she does, yeah. you know, then I'm available to do that. The other thing is, is I'm trying my best to leave the office on time. And that, that's hard. Yeah. Because, and I know for your responsibilities, there's always more to do. That's right. There's always more work to do. But I think I'm conditioning in my mind that I could work all day, every day, and there would still be more to do. Yeah. So at some point, I have to turn it off yeah. and I have to say, okay, I'll, I'll pick this up tomorrow, but I need to go home and spend some time, some time with the family. Yeah. The other thing is that we're learning the importance of taking a day off. You know, uh, we know about the, uh, the call to take a Sabbath. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's an important part yes. of our walk with Christ. And I heard one person say it like this, the Sabbath is not optional. The Sabbath is oxygen. Amen. Say that again. Yeah. Sabbath, to, to Sabbath is not optional. To Sabbath is oxygen. And it's important to rest. Yeah. It's okay. I was telling somebody even this morning, they've got a few days off. And I said, what are you going to do? And they looked at me and said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we feel guilty if we do nothing, but that's important yeah. so that we can spend quality time with the people that we care about. Our lives do not always have to be filled with to-dos because yeah. that is overwhelming, especially if you can't get the to-dos done and then you feel anxious because there's still yes. to-dos left to do. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes we've combined family and the church you know, there, there's been times where I've had to do a hospital visit and I told late, get in the car, you know, we'll, we'll go together, you know, because yeah. that, that is a part of, of who we are. Yes. And so we, we try to marry those two instead of them. Uh, I'll, I'll say it to you like this. We try to let them complement one another, church and family, not compete right. with Amen. one another. Because I don't want my children to ever think that my dad was more passionate about the church 
than he was about yes. my baseball game or my dance recital. Does that make yeah. sense? Amen. So we, we don't let them compete with one another. We let them compliment one another. And then the other one is we protect our evenings. So if you get home, now this is the season we're in. We've got an eight-year-old who's going into third grade. We've got a three-year-old who's going into pre-K three. You know, so, so it's an early morning for them. That means yeah. an early bedtime. So if I leave the office at 5 and I'm home by 5.30, I may get two, two and a half hours yeah. of time with them. You know, what I'm trying to do is to protect my evenings because that two, two and a half hour window is critical. Amen. It's critical to them. And they don't need to see me on my laptop in that two, two and a half yeah. hour window. They don't need to see me on my cell phone in that two, two and a half hour window. They need, they need to see me on all fours, giving yeah. piggyback rides and Amen. horsey rides. And London put lipstick on me and Lakeland yesterday. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's what they need to see. And so, yeah. so to answer this question, I know we've got a few more to get through. I'm not trying to balance church and family. Yeah, amen. And unapologetically, Kimberly and I will lead with our family as the priority. Yeah. They are first. Amen. They are first. Amen. My my, uh, my father-in-law, who pastored yeah, South amen. Metro for 33 years, uh, he, he had a, a, a statement one time in a staff meeting. You probably remember this. And, and I've held on to it uh, all of my ministry from the moment that he said it. And this is what, what Pastor Allen said. He said, Jesus died for the church that means I don't have to. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's great. Man. And it was so liberating. He said, yeah. Jesus died for the church. I don't have to. Yeah, wow. So, so I'm, I'm not going, since Jesus took my place, I'm not going to die for the church. This yeah. church is not built on J.C. Worley or personality. This church is built on Jesus Christ, and the yeah. gates of Amen. hell will not prevail against Amen. it. My family... They need, they need a husband, they need a father, they need a dad. Yes, and so the, the scales will always tip in their favor. Amen. Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, Pastor JC. Our kids all need to know that they're priority. Amen, church? Yeah, true. So, Pastor JC, you know, just in some of the stuff that you're sharing, I, I kept having this thought about, you know, we've got to be disciplined in order to do that, in order to maintain that what you call balance, especially towards the responsibility with family. Sure. There's, there's some discipline that needs to be involved in that, which I think would be a good, a, a good segue to another question that we have that says, could you please identify and explain some of the spiritual disciplines that should be a part of every believer's life and maybe why they are so crucial uh, to our walk of faith? Yeah, you know, uh, and, and somebody might be able to, to find this in the Bible, but as far as I know, the term spiritual discipline or spiritual disciplines is not in Scripture. As a matter of fact, whenever you read your Bible and you come across that word discipline, it is usually in conjunction with reproof or correction, yes. as if we're being corrected right. or you know, reprimanded in a sense. Uh, but that's not the type of discipline that we think of whenever we consider the responsibility to operate in or to practice you know, uh, the term you used, spiritual disciplines. Uh, when, I, when I was thinking through this question, really the closest use of the word discipline, as you see here for spiritual disciplines in the Bible, is when Paul was exhorting to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7, and he said to Timothy, he said, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. In the New American Standard version of Scripture, uh, Paul says it like this. Discipline yourself for the purposes of godliness. 
And what I love about that is, is the Greek word that was used in 1 Timothy 4, 7 is the Greek word gymnazo. And that's where we get our English word gymnastics from. And so he's saying you need, you need to train yourself to discipline yourself in order to be more like Christ. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so the discipline, the spiritual discipline that we're talking about is more of a, a training or a practicing or an exercising to become fit. Because Paul kept, kept on exhorting to Timothy yes. and he said, he said, look, physical training, it has some value to it. But, but being like Christ, right? Godliness has value for all things. So he says your physical yeah. training is important, but it only has value for a few things. Godliness, it has value for all things, holding on to the promise for both the present life and the life that is to come. So when you consider like, a, like a, an athlete uh, and the responsibilities to train their body to perform in whatever athletic realm they're in, I mean, they have to sacrifice a lot. They have to yep. discipline themselves a lot. They have, to, they have to be focused and intentional, not just one time. Right. You know how many times I've prayed like, God, when I go to the gym, that one time, let me come home with a six-pack. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Doesn't like, work that way. Kimberly laughs at me because I'll go to the gym one time in like three months. I'll come home, and I'm like, what do you think? <laughs> and she's like, what I thought before you went. You need to keep going back, you know? Because it's a, it's a process to, to, to correct your body or to discipline your body. And so for these athletes, I mean, they're going through, you know, rigorous workout routines. Yes. You know, and I think how much more important it should be for the life of a believer to put our spiritual body. That's right. Come on, to put our spiritual body, you know, through those disciplines so that we could become more spiritually fit. Amen. Okay, so, so now to answer the question. When I was in college, we were assigned uh, uh, some reading, and it was a book written by Richard Foster. I'd encourage everybody to write this book down and the author, Richard Foster. And the book was called The Celebration of Discipline which is an oxymoron in itself because who's celebrating discipline, <laughs> yeah. you know? But it's called the celebration of discipline. And, and Richard Foster walks through about 12 or 13 different types of disciplines that a Christian or a believer should, should train themselves in, should exercise as they become more spiritually fit. And he broke them up into three different categories. The front half, he talked about the inward disciplines. And that's things like prayer, how many of you know that prayer is vital? Yes. Pr prayer is absolutely vital. He talked about prayer as an inward discipline. He talked about um, fasting as an inward discipline. And I, I don't know if, if, if many of you practice the discipline of fasting, but it will break the yoke of bondage over your yes. life Amen. and over your family. You read about it in Isaiah, you know, the power of fasting. So he talks about prayer as an inward discipline, fasting as an inward discipline. He talks about Bible reading and study as an inward discipline and, and the, 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 the need that we have to get into these scriptures yes. and to seek God because this is truth. This is absolute Amen. truth. Then, then he talked about the outward disciplines, and that was things like simplicity, uh, solitude, submission, service, Yes. You know, those, those uh, disciplines that, that may be more outward. And then he closes with talking about corporate disciplines. And those are things like confession. And the Bible yeah. talks a lot about confession. Uh, worship, which at both campuses, we got to do a moment ago, corporate worship and the power yeah. and the energy and the dynamic that you feel in that. Uh, guidance as a discipline and, and then celebration. So, so I'll, leave, I'll leave you with this. Those are the disciplines that we should practice and train. But the truth is, is that we have to be 
determined and disciplined in our own yes. lives to be able to, to operate in those disciplines. Yeah. So, so if, if you're going to be required to sacrifice TV in order to pick up your Bible, would you do it? Amen. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be required to sacrifice food in order to fast because you're wanting, you know, the the bondage of the enemy to be broken over your family, would you do it? Amen. You know, because there is power when we come into alignment with these disciplines. And and being a Christian is it means to be like Christ. And you can see Jesus, the Son of God, practicing these disciplines. And if he needed it to yes. face all that he went through, Amen. how much more do we need it to face all the things that we are going through? Amen. So being a Christian is so much more than just showing up at a church on a Sunday, singing a few songs, hearing the pastor speak a message. It is a daily desire to take up your cross, to follow Jesus, and to hide yourself in the practice of these disciplines. Yes. It is the only way that we will ever become spiritually fit Amen. and mature is to practice the spiritual Amen. disciplines in front of us. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you stressed all all of them, because they're all equally important. Amen. Amen to that. I mean, that. I, I couldn't help but think, you know, I thought about the guy that might go to the gym, work out one arm all day long. You know, he's got one arm, you know, looks on, like this, good. and you got one arm that's all, you know, limp, can't do anything, uh, right? But I'm thinking the spiritual disciplines, Jesus practiced all of them. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, sometime back, this has been a while, and you can tell by my physical physique that sometime back, I hired a personal trainer because I wanted to get in shape. Our family was going on vacation. We were going to the beach. And, uh, you know, I didn't know if Kimberly would be impressed with my dad bod. So I, uh, <laughs> I got a personal trainer, and the personal trainer created this program, and, and he really, really just, I mean, he destroyed my body in, in, in a good way. But the days I would show up to the gym that were leg days, yes. I would always beg him to skip because I didn't want to do leg days. I did not yeah. want to do leg days. And he showed me a picture one time of this guy who had only worked out the oh, upper body. Wow. And he was big and swole, but his leg looked like chicken, chicken legs, legs, you know. <laughs> and I think the same is true in our walk with Christ. You can't just pick and choose the disciplines yes. that you want to, to practice. And they are all critical, Amen. all critical to the whole body becoming spiritually fit. Yeah, that's so awesome. So I, I pray that we all practice our spiritual disciplines. One of the things that that I was drawn to in these questions, Pastor JC, is uh, I think of the realities that we face in Christianity. Uh, even when we are practicing all of these spiritual disciplines, even, even when we feel like, you know, uh, we seem to be doing everything right, there, there tends to be times where individuals, and I've even been there myself, and I think you have too, where it feels like God is a million miles away. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to that individual or individuals that, that might have that same heart or that same question that says, why are there times I can't feel God's presence in my life? Man, Pastor Jeff, when, when this question came through on that AskAwaySeries.com platform, I mean, I, I just knew that they were asking on behalf of them and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of others yeah. in our church and right. in our you know, uh, go church family as well. You know, why, why can't I feel, you know, God's presence? And here, here's some things that I want you to consider. The first thing is this, and this is the most important of all of it. There is never a time in your life, not one moment, not one second, not one nanosecond of the life that you live, not one, not one moment that God is not near. Yes. Not one moment yes. that God is not near. Now, there are times that I'm not near, 
Come on, somebody. Yeah. That there are times that I find myself in different seasons where I'm not near to God, but God is always near to us. Yes. As a matter of fact, your Bible says that he is just as close as yes. the very mention of his name. Come on, that's good preaching yes. right there. You know, but I, I do believe in my heart that there are different reasons and seasons that we find ourselves in where it might help us to understand why we can't feel God's presence like right. we did in times past. Uh, the first one probably won't gain me a lot of friendships, but, but it is the hard truth. I think one of the reasons a question like this could be asked is because of intentional sin. Amen. Sin separates us from God. It separates yes. us from God. As a matter of fact, the psalmist David in Psalm 51, he, he writes out this prayer of repentance. And if you read verse 11 of Psalm 51, the psalmist David, he says this. He says, don't cast me from your presence. Well, it's not the desire of God to be away from his children, but sin, when it creeps in, is what can separate us from experience the supernatural, tangible presence of God. So let me say it to you like this. You can't drink to get drunk and then blame God for not feeling his presence. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't work true. that way. You, you, can't, you can't have, you know, premarital sex and then say to God, well, it's not fair that I can't feel your presence. We have a part to play in this. Yes. God says, draw near yeah, to me. Right. We have a responsibility Amen. with that. You know, we can't, we can't cheat at school off of someone else's exam and then say, God, I don't know why I can't feel your presence. Right. You, you can't lie at work or embezzle from work. When, when we're living in intentional sin, that is what separates us from experience the presence of God. Yeah. God is always near, but we can become reclusive, you know, and draw uh, or pull ourselves away from him. So yeah. that's a big one. Yeah, isn't that, that reminds me of what happened in the garden, Adam and Eve. Come on. Uh, he was Emmanuel, God with them, but yet they separated themselves through their sin. And did he not go looking for them even? Come in on, the midst man. of their sin. And they, they were off hiding behind some bushes wearing yeah. fig leaves. Yeah. You know, uh, and I, I think that God wants us to return to a place where we're living a life of, of here's a word, holiness, righteousness, purity. Yes. Because when we're, and you know, when we're, now his grace is sufficient, but when we're living in intentional seasons of sin, you're going to feel this way. You're going to feel like God is a million miles away. Another reason I think that this question could be asked is because we all go through busy seasons. Seasons where life is just busy, you know, and it's not that God's not speaking to you or that God's not near you. It's that you're too busy to, to hear him speak or to feel God's presence near you. I mean, we've got crazy schedules. We talked about to-do lists. Uh, the kids have sports. You know, as a matter of fact, I tried to get Lakeland to play baseball this fall and football, and Kimberly's like, absolutely not. She's like, you're crazy. We're already too busy, you know, but yeah. we've got kids sports. We've got to-do lists. The emails are always unread. It seems like the bills are always piling up. We've got appointment after appointment. I mean, there's an appointment for everything except an appointment to spend time with God. Yeah, wow. Well, what would happen if you've ever, if you're ever felt like in this season or you are in this season, what would happen if you took out your phone and in your phone, you made an appointment with God every day for 30 minutes? Wow. To, to get into those spiritual disciplines, I guarantee you that you would feel the presence of God yes. when you committed yourself and disciplined yourself to let God speak. Uh, the Bible says it like this in Psalm 46. It says, be still. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. Yeah. Because Psalm 23 says that if you're not still, right, he will make you lay down. 
in green pastures. <laughs> so the Bible, he yeah. maketh yes. me wow. lay down in green pastures. And I think for us, man, we're so busy. We're always going and doing, but yet we hardly ever make an appointment with God to say, God, I'm going to meet you at 6 a.m. every day. Because yes. if, you, if you say that to God, I promise you, God will be there. Yes, he will. God will be there waiting on you, you know, so put it in your calendar. So I think in, intentional sin is what draws us away from the presence of God. I think busy schedules. And then I also think the other one is this. I think it's order, order. And that means this, is God first in your life? Yes. Is, is God first in your life? Prayer, Bible study, worship, meditation as a spiritual discipline, solitude, simplicity, generosity, all of the disciplines, those disciplines should never be our last resort. It should be our first response. Yes. And here's what happens a lot of times with Christians, and I'm guilty of this in seasons too. I, I am very good at those disciplines when I need something from God. Wow. So now I'm trying to play catch up and my relationship with God instead of staying on the offense yes. and living in that life of discipline so that I can always feel the presence of God even when life gets tough. Yeah, amen. You know, so uh, Kimberly and I, when God allowed us the opportunity to move back home, we were able to get uh, a house, you know, and so, so we have a beautiful house and uh, Kimberly has decorated that house and it's, it's so beautiful. But right outside of our subdivision uh, where these two roads meet, there, there is a, a dead spot in my cell phone service, man. Like, I can't, I can't make a call. I, I can't take a call. And if I'm on a call, the call may hang on or it may drop off. But we're not going to be able to communicate with each other. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I'll tell people, if I'm on the phone, I'm like, hey, I'm coming up to this dead spot. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm coming up to this dead spot. You know, hang in there. If I lose you, I'm, I'm going to call you back. And that's because there are certain hot spots where you just get more signal. Yeah. And I think that's so true in our walk with Christ. We, we live too often in the dead spots. Yeah, you're right. And the dead places hoping that we can get signal to connect with God. Yeah. I think if we put God first, that, that becomes a hot yeah. spot Amen. where the signal is much more stronger Amen. and we can communicate with God. And as God communicates with us, we can hear his voice speak. Yeah. That's the way Amen. that it should be right there. Yeah. So aren't y'all thrilled church that there are hot spots that Come we on. can that we can go to amen i think pastor jc's made that clear where they are uh they're in our relationship with the lord you know pastor jc we've got so many questions and i just don't know where to go with all of these uh, but we've got a limited amount of time but one of the things that came across my mind is that you know even when we are going through these difficult times we find these these moments in our life where it's uh, God's a million miles away. I know for me, one of the things that has always helped is to just rely on the promises of God. And one of those promises that is that he will never leave me or forsake me. One of those promises is that there's nothing that can separate me from his love. And, and so I'm wondering if one, you can answer one of these other questions as we, we begin to you know, move towards the close here is, could you please go over some of God's promises that can help me in my faith walk. You know, I, I'm like you. I mean, I try my best to recite and quote as many of the promises that are available to me. Uh, a little fun fact here, and you may know this, but in your Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation, there are over 3,500 promises in the word of God. And here's what's so great. Every single one of them because of the redemptive work at the cross at Calvary, has your name on them. 
every promise is both yes and amen. amen. And every promise in this Bible, I, I can take hold of. So all, I, I don't have time to list 3,500 promises. You know, even as exciting as that would be, some people would get hungry. You know, but there, there are 3,500 plus promises with my name on them. Yes, amen. Let me tell you. Now, here, here's, here's the conditional part of God's promises. Is that if we want to take possession of any of the promises, whether it's one of them or all of them, we must be in right standing with God. Amen. We, we cannot, outside of God, take advantage of what has been given to his children. To his children. Right. So that, that means that, that we have to confess our sin. That means that we have to ask Jesus in our heart. That means that if you want the promises of God and they're there, they're available, you must be born again. Okay, that means that you were once born, you got a birthday, yeah. right? But then you were born again, meaning it, yeah. it was your, your, your spiritual, spiritual birthday when you asked Jesus in your heart. And then when you walk through those steps, then those promises become available to you. So the Bible, just pick up your Bible and read it, and you'll see the overwhelming beauty of God's promises that are available to his children. Things like in John 10.10 where it says that he promises to give those who believe in him life, life more abundantly. Amen. Life, life to the full. That is a beautiful promise. Uh, a promise like those who believe in him are entrusted with eternal life. And wow. Acts 1.8, those who believe in him, they, they are promised power, supernatural power. The promise that, that Jesus is coming back again. And those, those promises go on and on and on. But the only way to take hold of the promises is to be in right standing with God. Yes. You can't live a life of disobedience and then expect to get a hold of the promises. Yeah. We have to walk worthy according to the word of God that is there for us to understand how we should live Amen. our lives. Amen. I love Come on, that. that'll preach, won't yeah, it? Yeah, that will all day long, but we don't have all day, right? <laughs> so we're going to take probably just the next few minutes, Pastor JC, and, and try to hit you with probably one of the hardest questions that, that I think has been asked of any pastor and probably maybe even one of the most difficult in all of theology. And you've, you've probably got two, three minutes to, to try to answer uh, this question and it's why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good, bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I don't, I don't either. <laughs> I mean, we, we could sit up here for 30 minutes yeah, no. and talk through this one, and there will never be a satisfactory explanation as to why good things or bad things rather happen to good people. I mean, there, there's no way to wrap our mind around why we have to go through challenges and difficulty and adversity and pain. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I wish, uh, in, you know, being a pastor and, you know, doing counseling and even looking at and reflecting on my own life that, you know, out of seminary school, they would have given you a magical wand that when people come in and uh, yes. they're broken and they're hurting and they're looking for answers, you know, uh, that you could just kind of wave that wand and fix yeah. whatever it is they're walking through. But it's just, that's just not how this works. 
so there, there is no satisfactory explanation. Uh, I hope to give you all a few things that might help us in this journey. And the first one is this. This is the first thought that comes to my mind. We live in a sin-filled world. And because we live in a world filled with sin, there is pain and there is suffering and no one can escape it. Yes. No one is exempt from the pains of life. If you, if you read your Bible, uh, you'll, you'll find the book of Job. And in the book of Job, we're introduced to the man named Job. Yep. And in the first chapter, he is introduced to us as a righteous man. A righteous man. I don't, I don't know if there is a, a better descriptive word to use for someone's life than that of a righteous man or woman, a righteous person. And yet when you read the story of Job, although he was righteous, God still allowed Satan yes. to attack Job, to do anything and everything he wanted to do to Job except kill him. And all of hell was against Job. Job, Job lost his family. Job lost his, his house. Job lost his livestock, his income. Job, wow. Job became sick. Even his friends tried to turn on him. And, and yet Job, being a righteous man, who I think if you're going to give a definition of somebody who's good, he's still in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that trial. Here was his response. The good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away. Blessed yeah. be the name wow. of the Lord. Wow. Even, even Jesus, Jesus knew that all of us, every one of us, we would go through painful moments in our life. So Jesus said in John 16, he said, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. Yes. In this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be pain. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be storms. He said, it is going to happen. Now, if he stopped in his conversation there, I would be depressed. Yeah. But he goes on and he says, but take heart. Amen. Because I, meaning Jesus, have overcome yeah. the world. Come on, somebody yeah, say amen, amen right there. So, so we, know, we know that pain is going to come. We know that, that, that heartache is going to happen. You know, uh, why it happens and who it happens to. I mean, that's up for debate. But I can tell you this, no one is exempt. Every, yeah. Everybody, no matter what they look like on the outside, no matter if they, they seem as if they got it all put together, every person in this room, yes. every person in this room, you've, you've either been in a storm, you're, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're about to go into one. Yeah. I wish I had better news yeah. today, but that's just how life works because the enemy hates you. Yeah. The enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy wants to pull you away from that devotion to God. And so pain and conflict and all of those things, they just come. So mm. I think that's one thing. Another, another thought that I have when I look at this question, why do bad things happen to good people is, in the absolute sense of this word good, none of us are good. That's right. Say that again. Yeah, none of us are good. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how we define good. But none of us are good. We were all born in sin. Right. Uh, Jesus said in Luke, Luke chapter 18, he said, no one is good except God alone. That's right. So, so I don't know how we define good. Like, you know, well, I went to church today or, you know, I took out the trash or, you know, I, I, I raked the leaves of my neighbor's yard. I don't know how we define good, but the truth is none of us are good. 
Yeah. None of us are good. Right. We all have sin, and we, we all have the need of someone to rescue us, and his name is Jesus. Amen. So it's not just bad things happening to good people. Bad things happen to all people. That's right. But here's the beautiful thing about being in relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from the storms. It just means we don't have to go through the storms by ourselves. Yeah, amen. Well, come on, amen. I wish you'd say amen right yeah. there. Amen, church. So no matter what we go through, we hold on to his promises that he will never leave us. Yes. He will never, I'm about to yeah. preach now, Jeff. Yeah, preach. He'll never abandon us. He'll never forsake us. He'll be with us in good times and in times of difficulty. You know, so, so the truth is, is, is that we're, we're going to walk through it, but he'll walk with us Amen. side by side, hand in hand. Amen. You know, can I keep going? Yeah, yeah you can keep going. You got about... Yeah, 30 seconds. All right, I'll do it. Uh, for the believer, I think we need to have a different perspective. We need to have an eternal perspective. This world is not our home. That's right. This, so, so, yeah, I, I know that bad things happen. I know that many of you, you came in this room today, and you're going through it, man. Like, you are really going through it. But the good news is this world is a temporary world. Amen. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a few verses, it says, we, we do not lose heart. Paul says, don't lose heart. Though outwardly it looks like we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by yeah. day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that fars outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, yes. he says. So we fix our eyes, not on the things that we see, but we fix our eyes on the things that are unseen. Amen. Because the things that we see are in the natural, but the things that are unseen, they are, they are eternal. And I think, I think if, you, if you feel like, why am I going through it? I got good news for you. Yes. That there is coming a day where there is no sickness, there is no pain, there is no divorce, there is no addiction. Amen. There are no affairs, there is no cancer. Amen. There are no financial problems. Amen. I, I know that you feel like all of hell is against you, but we have to have a different perspective. Yes. And the perspective needs to be an eternal one. Amen. Not a temporary one. Amen. Hey, come on. That's worthy of a... And I don't think we can end on a better note than that. Uh, we got to. I'm a, hold on. And we're okay. done. The other thought is this, is that guess what? We grow in the storm. We grow in the storm. Amen. Some, some of the most meaningful times of maturity in my life have been the times where I was going through a bad situation. I was growing in the storm. Right. James, the, uh, the half-brother to Jesus, he says in James chapter 1, he says, he says brother and sister, he says, whenever, whenever trouble comes your way, there it is again. He says, trouble is coming, pain is coming, difficulty is coming, bad things are going to happen. He says, whenever, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. Wow. When's the last time you and I went through something bad and we were like, hey, hey, <laughs> woo, here we go. Yes, God, thank you for choosing me to walk through yeah. this painful yeah. situation. But James says, let it be an opportunity for joy. He says, because when your faith is tested, yes. your endurance has a chance to fully develop and then you'll be strong in character and watch what he says he closes out that thought and he says and you'll be ready for anything wow we Amen. grow in the hardest seasons of our life that's why it's why my favorite verse is romans 8 28 we're gonna come full circle amen that no matter what you're facing today he works all things yeah. together 
for your good. Can you give Jesus a big round yes, of applause? Yes, amen. Amen. Hey, how many of you thrilled to have been part of this Ask Away series this morning? Amen.